Good morning, Village Church. I'm Matt, one of the pastors here at the Village Church, and uh, I'm the other Matt. The other Matt was supposed to be preaching this sermon this morning, but um, it's kind of been a, a, oh, a crazy weekend for some of us, I think. Um, our family was coming in from Hume Lake. I spent the week up at Hume Lake um, teaching their adult teaching series and had a fantastic week with the family. And uh, we rolled in. A bunch of you, about half our church, it feels like, was in Yosemite last weekend. We were just on the other side of the mountain range from you guys in Hume Lake. And so a lot of us uh, were in God's, uh, God's creation last week and uh, enjoying some thunderstorms and some great, uh, some great things, ways to see him speak and move. Um, last night, Pastor Matt, uh, the other Pastor Matt, um, contacted me and let me know that he, uh, he was in the ER. So Pastor Matt um, had an emergency endoscopy. Is that what it, yeah, uh, you're right. You guys got it. And um, couldn't swallow some of his food. Some of you know, historically, Pastor Matt has um, had some throat issues and he's got something in his throat that just kind of keeps it um, the way it, it needs to be functioning. And uh, it's not just this morning, but I've been thinking and praying for him. About a month from now, uh, Matt's going to be leaving to Albania to do a lot of training with a bunch of pastors in Albania with Pastor Andi. And uh, I'm just praying that his voice is well for that. Um, Matt's here this morning, but not well enough to preach. And so this morning you're going to get um, some of Matt's ideas, but you're going to get my voice. All right. And um, I've taken out like stuff about math and like nerd stuff. Um, and I also, um, I also check out all, he has so much in there about Kimberly and that would just be awkward. Right. So like, so I, I took that out and, um, and Matt, I'm sorry, but I changed a couple of your points cause I just thought I worded them better. And, and then, and then other than that, but, um, but you know, you know, Pastor Matt's a man who loves God's word. I mean, really, really loves God's word. And so um, when, when you put all the time and effort and energy to preparing something and you're not able to do it, that's one thing. But um, could you just join me? And if you're just around him, would you just kind of extend a hand on out? We're going to pray for Matt and his voice. And um, Lord, we just want to pray now that you would be Matt's helper and his healer. We pray that you would heal his throat, you would heal his voice. That you'd make it well not only now, but you'd make it well um, for many days from now. That in the days that he's in Albania, that he would have no problems. Lord, that he would be able to eat and drink all the like, ways that he normally does. And be able to, to, to preach and train um, every day, those pastors in Albania. Um, so that they would proclaim your gospel in that area of the world and beyond. And so, uh, Jesus, we trust you to do this. We ask you to do it in your name. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, well, um, so this morning though we are in the end of our series in First and Second Peter, we spent about eight or 12 weeks um, talking about this idea of helpful wisdom for hard days. And so for all these weeks, we've been gaining wisdom in various topics and all along the way, maybe you thought, yeah, I need wisdom for that or I need wisdom for this or I need wisdom for that. And here we are at the end of it all. And as we end it all, you might be asking, well, okay, Peter wrote two letters about these things. It's been 2,000 years or more since Jesus, or more since Jesus walked uh, and, and proclaimed these things. So if we live in such hard days, and the days are likely to get harder, not easier, why doesn't Jesus just come back? Like, why don't we just get on with it? Why, why, why don't you just come back? Why don't we just all go to heaven and like, can't we get out of this? Is, that would be the easiest way for us to all get out of the hard days that we live in. The most helpful wisdom would seem to me to be, it's time. It's time, Jesus. It's time for you to return and for us to go to you. And so Peter ends his letter by asking this question. He knows that his audience will be asking this question after all this time, him telling them the wisdom for all these different things in the life that they're living. We're gaining the same, reaping the same wisdom. He knows that an audience like ours might also be thinking, well, like, why don't you just come back and get it over with? 
And so Peter ends his letter, a letter that would be the last letter he would write before he's executed, by reminding them that they already actually know the answer to that question. They already actually know the answer to that question. And a lot of the Christian life is just a, um, a life filled with reminders. And Peter gives us the first reminder starting in the first couple of verses where he says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember, reminder, remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. I think that we need to be reminded about things much more than we need to be instructed about things. You and I have been instructed so much. Most of you have been sitting in church your entire life, like me. I've been in church my entire life since the time I was a boy. I have been instructed. I've gotten to seminary. Many of you have taken Bible classes and have degrees, or maybe you're listening to however many podcasts, it probably adds up to a degree by now. You know, you, we have been instructed in so many ways. Much of the time, we need to be reminded much more than we need to be instructed. And the reason we need to be reminded is we can often forget. Maybe it's just that we simply forget the things that Jesus has told us through his word. Maybe it's that it just gets muddled up in the midst of all of the, the melu of all the other ideas and voices that are coming our way in a given day or week or month or year, we need to be reminded. I don't know about you, but I live by, by reminders. Um, I don't want to say it right now because it'll pop up on the iPad probably, but I'll, I'll say something like, hey, so-and-so, remind me to do, all right, we're good. You know, remind me to do this. And, um, and, and I live by that. Um, I changed mine to be like a, an old English guy, so it makes me feel important. You know, when I, when I get the reminder, I feel like I have a butler who's saying, great, I'll do that. You know, and they're like, put it on your, your schedule. But if I don't remind myself about things, I often forget things. If you know me, you know this. I'm not bragging, I'm just saying. I need reminders. And so I, I kind of can't feel bad personally if like, I need reminders spiritually. I know that I do. I know I need reminders in the day-to-day -day things of life. How much more would I need reminders on the spiritual things in life? And maybe you might feel the same way. I think Peter knows this about all of us. We need to be reminded. And Peter's saying he wants to remind us about something here, but it's a very important reminder. I want to tell you, this is not just like a quiet reminder. When he says, I want to stir you up, it, he's saying this is literally like a wake-up call to you. I don't know if you like scroll through your iPhone and you kind of set your alarm, and some of you set alarms that are super pleasant. You know, it's like just kind of gradually gets louder and louder and very pleasant sounds, and it's right next to your bed, and you're like, yeah, I love that. I can deal with that. Some of you are smiling right now. It's like, that's my alarm. And others of you, it's like the most annoying, like wah, 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 wah. It's just loud, and it shocks you to wake you up because you know that's what you need. It's probably far enough away on the nightstand where you can't reach it. You have to roll out of bed and actually hit it. Some of you are smiling because that's you too. And maybe you live in different homes, and one of you on one side of the bed, or the same home, one of you on one side of the bed is like, can't you just do it this way? No, 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 I need it that way to be able to wake up. This is what Peter is doing this morning. He's saying, hey, listen, listen. It's a wake-up call to God's people this morning. He's saying the Bible has already told you the answer to this question, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter tells us it's a really important reason that we should remember what the prophets and Jesus have told us about this question. And he does it in the next verses. Follow with me where he says, knowing this, first of all, 
that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is he? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And the first thing that Peter wants us to see this morning is this, that wisdom says we need to remember God's word because false teachers will tempt us to doubt God's word. Wisdom is that we need to remember God's word because false teachers will tempt us to doubt God's word. The scoffer's argument is, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Stuff has always been this way. It's just the same. The universe continues on. Nothing has changed. Jesus didn't come back when our fathers were here. Jesus has not returned now. And Jesus may never actually return. Matter of fact, every time someone predicts when Jesus returns, they're always wrong. It's a prediction that has a 0% success rate. And yet, professing Christians continue to do it. Bible teachers continue to do it. And so if he didn't come back when our fathers anticipated and he's not coming back now, and, and maybe, you know, maybe never in the future because we can never predict when, maybe he's just never coming back. I just want to pause for a second and say, you might be thinking that this is the argument of the scoffer who's the skeptic. And I think you would be right we would be right to say that. This is an argument from the scoffer that is the skeptic. We have seen this before. You have someone that you know that just has a problem with Christianity. They're skeptical, and, and they have all these different arguments, and this is one of the arguments. It's been 2,000 years. When is Jesus going to come back? Answer, he's not. Come on. Really? Just really? It's been 2,000 years. And that's their skeptic, scoffing, skeptic side. On the other side of the equation, I want to tell you, is, is the scoffer that is a professing believer or some kind of professing believer. Here he's talking about our fathers. He's talking about God's historic people. My sense today is that most of the scoffing on this question comes from people who sit in liberal churches, who are telling you that the point is not that Jesus came to live a life without sin and to die a death we should have died, and to rise from death three days later to give us a forgiven and free life, the life he intended for us from the beginning. But the point of our life is to make our world better until we die, and then the next generation will make the world better. And the point of Jesus coming was to be a good example to us, to show us how to do redemptive things in the world. The point of Christianity is to make a better world. And I would say, well, of course, but not really. Like, that's not the, that's not the whole point. And this version of liberal Christianity would see Christianity as and I've shared with you before, like the analogy of a train station. A lot of people look at this and say, like, as Christians, too many of us are looking at this train station, and there's a one-way train. It goes north and south. There's only one track. North and south, one track. And we're all getting into train station. And so many Christians find themselves worrying about how to beautify the train station rather than getting people on the northbound train. The reality is you're going north or south. He's going to pick that up in this passage in a few moments here. There's one of two ways, north or south. So many professing Christians today have gotten involved in this liberal version of Christianity that says Christianity is just to make a better train station for everyone. When the northbound train goes somewhere wonderful and the southbound train goes somewhere you would never want to go or want anyone else to go. With that said, I got to say, the argument in one sense is kind of a powerful argument. It kind of makes sense. It's been 2,000 years. The world is getting pretty bad. And we're facing some pretty hard days. 
So how does Peter respond to that idea? Look at the next few verses with me. For they deliberately overlook this fact. (laughs) Scoffers and doubters always do that. They deliberately ignore something. They conveniently ignore a few things. That the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water. He's talking about the flood and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The scoffers say, where is the promise of his coming? He hasn't come yet. It hasn't happened yet. God is so slow. And Peter answers by saying, yeah. That's what the people in Noah's day said too. And they all drowned. That's what the people in Noah's day said too. And they all drowned. They all said, yeah, it's not happening. Noah, stop building that whatever it's called that you're building. (laughs) What are you doing Just go on with your life. Enjoy your life. God is not there, and he's not coming. He's not judging anyone for anything. What Peter is saying is this is an old argument for an old reason, and it doesn't end well. This is an old argument. Where is he? He hasn't come yet. Maybe he's never coming. This is an old argument from an old reason, and it doesn't end well. The argument basically is, a, is an argument that is meaning to mask the reality that people don't want to be accountable. Have you recognized that and noticed that in our culture? Children don't want to be accountable to their parents. Teenagers don't want to be accountable to their teachers and coaches. Young workers don't want to be accountable to their bosses. I talk to guys all the time now that are running companies and trying to hire young people. They can't find someone to hire that is willing to do good work, to work hard. It's like, how, how, they, they don't want to be accountable. They think they can just do anything and just get paid a ton of money for it. People don't want to be accountable. How much more do we not want to be accountable to God? That's instinctively the way people are. We don't want to be accountable to him. This is an old argument for an old reason, and it doesn't end well. Because Peter says God's going to do it again, and next time it's not going to be with water. It's going to be with fire. By the same word of the heavens, the earth that now existed are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. You might say, well, I thought God said he would never destroy the world again. Remember, Matt, that's that whole story about the flood in Genesis. God makes a covenant with Noah, says, I established my covenant with you. I'll never again cut off all flesh by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. I'm not going to destroy the earth again. That's what the rainbow was for. That's what God's trying to remind us of. He's not going to destroy the earth again. He's not going to judge mankind again like, like that. And I would say, yeah, He's not, not with water. You know, God is perfect and he's holy and God cannot lie and he's not lying. He's not going to destroy the world again with water, but there'll be a day where he will with fire. There is a day of judgment that's coming and scoffers scoff at it, just like they did in Noah's day. You might say, okay, so why is he taking so long to fulfill his promise? You're still not really answering the question. Well, in verse 8, Peter answers the question. Do not overlook this fact, beloved. Scoffers conveniently overlook things. Here's another thing not to overlook, a really important thing not to overlook. That with the, day, one day, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as is one day. God's outside of time. This is nothing to him. But there's another important thing not to overlook. 
the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. Some scoffers count slowness. But, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The second thing this morning that I think Peter wants us to see is wisdom says Jesus is waiting until more people are repenting. Why is he taking so long? Jesus is waiting until more people are repenting. God is outside of time, and so he doesn't see it the way that we do. God can see all of time in one space at a time. God is outside of beyond time. This is not a long time for him. I know it feels like a long time to us. But God is saying, I'm taking time in your idea of time because I'm patient, because I'm long-suffering, because I'm merciful. Scoffers say, God is so quick to judge. Why is God so quick to judge? He's like that cosmic killjoy that's just waiting to judge people. And I would say, really? (laughs) Because we're going on 2,000 years. I mean, I (laughs) I think Jesus has a really long wick. He's got a really long fuse. Like he is patient and long-suffering and gracious and merciful. He's waiting. He's patiently waiting for more people to see the reality of who he is, to repent, to turn from their sin, and to turn to him. This is the reason, Peter says. He's pleading with people. Jesus is pleading with people through his word, through the Bible, through his prophets, the people who proclaim it, and through Jesus himself, who is God in human flesh. God is pleading with people to come to him. He's patiently pleading. That's what God is doing. He's not slow. He's lovingly patient and kind, merciful. He's just giving people time to repent. And if you're a parent, you get this, you you know your kids need to be disciplined for things. You also know you just, <laughs> you want to be patient with them because you love them. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, I just want to humbly say that Jesus not returning yet is, it's really for you. I mean, look, Christians want to go see Jesus. I mean, if you're a Christian, do you want to go see Jesus? I mean, <laughs> it would be fantastic. So like, yeah, like as Christians, we can't wait. But if you're not yet a Christian, I just want to tell you as humbly as I can, like this is because of you. Like he's waiting for you. And when I say it's because of you, I'm saying that in a lovingly, like this is a really good thing. Like he wants you. He's not waiting for us. He's not waiting for other Christians. He's waiting for you. He's pleading with you to see who he is and to acknowledge that and to repent and to turn from the, the ways you've sinned against and offended him and to, to trust him and to follow him and to submit your life to him and, so that he can give you the life you always dreamed you, you'd want and, and more. But Peter tells us that Jesus isn't gonna be patient forever. You know, as patient as anyone is, they're not patient forever. You might know like people that are older who are just really patient and it's, years tend to do that to people, right? Like, when you get older, you either get like happy and patient or like, I don't know, grumpy and impatient. And I'm just want to be for the happy and patient. Is that what you want? Like, I want to be like the happy, patient grandpa who's driving my kids to the beach in the 1984 Jeep Scrambler. That's all I want. That's, that's what I want in the end. I want to be the humble, happy, patient grandpa, right? <clears throat> God is eternal. He doesn't have age. But if he did, he would be um, the oldest being in the universe, right? I mean, he's it just goes to show you how humble and patient he is. But 
He will not be patient forever. Look at verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Third thing Peter wants us to see is that wisdom says Jesus will return, and when he does, he will return as judge and not just savior. He will return as judge and not just savior. Jesus is our savior. He is also the judge of all the earth. The Old Testament talks about this day as the day of the Lord. It's a day of reckoning. It's a day of judgment. It's not a day of salvation in that sense. Yes, he's saving us out of the world, but he is coming to judge the world. And Peter says that ultimately refers to the day when Jesus will come to judge both the living and the dead. And in the Old Testament, we find it in places like Zechariah 14, and the Lord will be a king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Like, that's it. No more patience. The New Testament also talks about the returning of Jesus in this way, and it's going to be quick. It's going to come when we don't expect it to come. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And again, if you're not yet a Christian, that's not a scare tactic from the Bible. It's just reality. We don't know when Jesus returns, and it's going to happen quickly and suddenly. You're not going to have time to prep for that. How do we know this? Well, that's what Jesus said himself. It's not, I'm not saying it as a preacher. You know, like Peter's not saying it as a dude who wrote the Bible. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, therefore stay awake. Remember the wake? Wake up. Stay awake. For you don't know on what day the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and he would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready. For the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. When Jesus returns, it's going to be unexpected. We're supposed to look for the signs of the times as Christians, but it's going to be unexpected. He's going to come. It's going to be unexpected. It's going to be quick. And then it says, and Peter says, the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Jesus is going to come. It's going to be quick. And he is going to expose everything. Every deed, whether good or evil, good or bad, will be exposed. Jesus is going to return. It's going to be quick. And in that moment, you will be laid bare, right? You will, like, the kimono will be open. <laughs> and, 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 and in every area of your life, you will be exposed. And I will be exposed. We will be exposed. You might be thinking, Ugh. <laughs> well, how do I prepare for that? Because I don't, I don't really like that. Well, it's coming whether we would like it or not. So how do we prepare for that? I don't know, you know, I don't know how you prepare for the end of the world. You know, some of you prepare by, I don't know, getting guns and ammunition and food and water and like bug out supplies and like, I don't know, I know a guy who might have some of that in his garage too, you know, but like, I'm just saying, that was the one joke I thought would land. I don't even have jokes for this morning. It's like, but I'm kind of not joking either, but like, but like, I know there's people in our, in, our, in our church who have basements even and stuff like that. I mean, I don't, I'm not that crazy. I don't have basements, but like I got stuff, you know, like I'm, I want to take care of my family during the zombie apocalypse. You know, like you, you want to prepare for some of those things or maybe just an earthquake, but like, you know, you want to prepare for that stuff, but how much more do we want to prepare for this? I mean, this is really what the end of things is all about, right? Like 
the end of things is not about like the zombie apocalypse. Uh, the end of all things is about Jesus returning for his people and judging the world. His patience is left out. Like, how do you prepare for that? The author of Hebrews says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. We want to get away from the accountability. I don't want to give an account. You will. And I will too. I mean, you know, there's nothing that we can hide from God. I mean, just let that sink in for a minute this morning. There's nothing we can hide from God. So, so what do we do? Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Peter's saying that we know that Jesus is returning, not just as Savior, but as judge, to judge the living and the dead. In light of that, we should live holy and godly lives. And I think what Peter's saying is that if we deny that fact, we know this. So if we deny it and we don't do it, if we don't live holy and godly lives, we're acting just like the false teachers. We are in a sense practical, not practical atheists, but practical like scoffers, right? Like the scoffers that are in this, we're practical false teachers. We are believing a false gospel. If we don't, if we don't pursue a holy and godly life, we're acting as if we're, we're those ungodly scoffers we're doing the same thing, all the while naming Christ. Just like the people in Noah's day. I've been thinking a lot about this because um, I've been working on this concept about holistic health. And if you're a leader in our church, you've maybe done a survey I've, I've put together or like a little worksheet, this four core thing. And um, a week ago, I was on the phone with the, the editor at this one book publishing place. And they were interested in this idea, and I, I just, I've been thinking about this idea of holistic, but, but really holistic, right? Like H-O-L-Y-S-T-I-C, like not just our holistic lives, like mind, body, soul, spirit, our finances, our marriage, our parenting, our children, um, just all the ways that we want to live godly lives, but, but holistic health is really holy health. God's created us as people who are living out the truth of the gospel in all kinds of areas of our lives, and what would it look like to live out those things in a way that was pleasing to God and, and really helped us increase in holiness? I want to be a holistically healthy person, and I just got to tell you, as I look at this in my own life, I have a long way to go. Do you? And if there are four core areas of life, I'm asking myself every month, what are those four core areas? What is one thing I'm doing in each of those areas to grow in Christ-likeness and holiness? What's one thing I got to get away from, repent of? But there's like 10 or 12 areas, and that's like, that could get, that's a lot. I have a long way to go. Thankful I have a patient and gracious God. Just in case they aren't listening or just in case we're not listening, Peter gives another sobering reminder in verse 12 where he says, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. <laughs> that sounds really bad. <laughs> the judgment of Jesus is gonna be so intense that it's going to burn up all of creation. And I wanna say, well, Bowman wanted to say, does that make you a little sad? This is one of the parts I didn't take out because I just thought, yeah, you know, like I was just up at Hume Lake and 
it's just unbelievably beautiful. And half our church practically was just up in Yosemite. And could you think of a place that's a bit more beautiful than that? <laughs> it's kind of sad to think about in some way, but, but I, I don't want you to be distracted by this idea. Here's, here's what I want to point you to. I think the point of this is this, that if God's judgment will consume creation— if God's, if the judgment of Jesus when he returns will consume creation, inanimate objects that have done nothing to sin against him, nothing to offend him, nothing to blaspheme his name. These are inanimate objects that are being burned up, consumed by fire. They've done nothing to do anything against him on their own volition or out of their own will. How will his judgment consume his creation that has? We are all his creation. We are all created in the image and likeness of God. We are all created by him to love him, to be in relationship with him, to live holy and pleasing lives to him. None of us can ultimately do that on our own. If you're not yet a Christian, that's the whole point of Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life before God on our behalf. Before he died a death, we should have died on the cross and in our place and for our sins. It's not just that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's that he lived a sinless life that we could never live. Because God's going to come, Jesus is going to return, he's going to consume all of creation, of which we are, the height of creation. If he's going to consume all that, what happens to people who, by their own will and volition, sin against, offend, blaspheming Jesus through their lives and their words, their thoughts, their deeds? C.S. Lewis says, and you know Bowman has to have a C.S. Lewis quote. You're welcome, I kept it. Nature's mortal. We shall outlive her. When all the suns and the nebulae have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. The question is, where will we be alive? In the comfort of God's presence in heaven or under God's judgment somewhere else? Peter wants us to be in the comfort of God in heaven. So he reminds us, verse 14, but according to this promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The fourth and last thing is that Jesus, wisdom says Jesus will return, and when he does, he will create something new and will create something better. You've heard this before. You might be thinking about the end of the book in Revelations where John wrote, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The hope in this that we have as Christians is that we have placed our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. And then when Jesus returns to judge the world, not just as our savior, but as a judge, he's going to save us out of it as he judges the world. And, and he will create a new world, a new heavens, a new earth, where only righteousness dwells. And can you imagine what Yosemite will look like then? Saying, I want that. <laughs> I want to get us some of that. How does that happen? And Peter tells us, according to his promise. According to his promise, God is in the business of making and keeping promises. God judged the world through a flood once, and he's promising he's going to do it again through fire. God keeps his promises. God's also saying that I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth where only righteousness dwells, 
And that promise is as good as the former. God keeps his promises. The New Testament says it this way, all the promises of God find their yes in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We know that God keeps his promises because Jesus keeps his promises. Jesus told his disciples three times, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, I'm going to be beaten, killed, flogged, I'm going to die, and on the third day I'm going to rise. You read the book Gospel of Mark, it's three chapters in a row. He's like, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. I want you to get this. This is what's happening. Jesus keeps his promises, live, die, rise. Jesus keeps all of his promises. If he can keep live, die, rise, he can keep any promise. He's going to keep this promise. If you've been reading in the scripture reading plan um, this week, you read a lot out of Proverbs. That was great for me. I was teaching um, out of Ecclesiastes this week in Hume, and the Proverbs matched up really well because they're wisdom. You also read in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, this is a verse that we as Christians read this week in this plan that we have to read the Bible in a year, every year. And I want to tell you that if you're asking, like, how do I get there? That's how you get there. You confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's the Son of God come in human flesh, that he's a God-man, fully God, fully man, that he lived a life you could never live, a sinless life before God. He died a death you should have died on the cross, in your place, for your sins. He took it all on himself, all the weight of all your sin and guilt and shame. He took on himself so you don't have to take it on. And he rose three days later to prove it, to prove who he was and to offer you forgiveness and to validate the forgiveness he's offered you and to free you to live a life that's, that's in line with the things that he desires so that you only experience his blessing and not his judgment. You confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved out of it. Confess and believe. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found with him without spot or blemish and at peace. So if you're a Christian, as we patiently wait for him, it doesn't mean we're passive. Patience does not mean passivity. As we patiently wait for him, we're active. We, we're diligent to pursue holiness, holistic health. We don't do this because we're trying to earn God's approval. As Christians, we don't earn anything, but we put effort into everything, don't we? We cannot earn God's approval. We're not trying to do that. And if you're not yet a Christian and you're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. That sounds miserable. I know it sounds miserable. That's not good news. That's not what Christians believe. Christians don't believe that we earn God's approval. You can never do that. Jesus did that for us. But how we put effort into everything in our relationship with Jesus because we love him and we're grateful. So we put effort into living holy and more holy and godly lives. Verse 15, and count the patience of the Lord Jesus Christ as salvation, just as our beloved Paul so wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. That's probably, that's true, right? I mean, read Romans. Which the ignorant and stable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Yeah, the ignorant and unstable, they twist scriptures when they don't understand them. If you're looking at the Bible and you're not yet a Christian, just just take your time and, and, and ask someone to study a little bit with you. It's actually, it's actually not as confusing as you might think. And Jesus is not as slow as you might think. He's just patient. He's patient because he loves you. So here, Peter's is restating what he's already said. That Jesus is patient so that more people will come to repentance. And I just want to say again, if you're not yet a Christian, Jesus is waiting for you. And if you are a Christian... I want to tell you, Jesus is waiting for you, in a sense, 
in a sense, he's waiting for you to share the gospel with that person that he knows is going to come to know him. He's going to use you to share the gospel with them. Like, in some sense, he's just waiting for non-believers, but in another sense, he, I think he's waiting for believers. He's like, he's waiting, he's waiting on you as well. So like, you want to go see Jesus? I do. If you guys all want to go see Jesus together, go start sharing Christ with your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers. I mean, that's the plan. <laughs> We're part of the plan too. Peter's final exhortation comes in verses 17, 18, where he says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you do not get carried away with the error of lawless people who lose their own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Don't get carried away with this, this lawlessness, this error. Again, I mentioned liberal Christianity, and what I mean is, is a kind of Christianity that uses the Bible as a means of just trying to improve the world on one hand, but also uses the Bible on the other hand as a means to licentiousness. Like I can just do what I want and God's just going to forgive me. And then at the same time, I can try to help make a better world. You tell me how those two things go together. I don't know. It does not make any sense. But a lot of people living their lives that way in the name of Christ. Don't get caught up with that, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do this in community group. We want to invite you into that. We do this in the men's study, in the women's study. As we study the Bible together in community, the women are studying a lot of book studies over the, over the summer. They're going to help them grow in godliness. Sign up for one of those. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. How long should we be pursuing godliness and holiness in this kind of life until Jesus returns? At the end of the day, he gets all the glory for all of this for his plan, for his purposes. And I think that's the good news. It's because Jesus promised he would return. We can endure hard days with the wisdom of the word until he does. We get together, we study God's word, we remind ourselves of these things every day until the day Jesus returns. Because Jesus promised he would return, we can endure hard days with the wisdom of his word until he does. And I hope that's good news for you this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, this morning we thank you for your patience with us as your people who do know you, as your, as your children, your sons and daughters. Where we all know we can live more holistically healthy lives. We all know that there's places we can pursue greater holiness and godliness. Not because we have to, but because we get to, because we love you, because we're grateful. And thank you for your patience with people that have yet to come to know you. And I pray this morning that if they're here, they would place their faith and their hope and trust in you, that you'd invite them to yourself. And we pray for our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers that don't yet know you and, and the love you have for them and the fantastic things you have for them in their lives. How you want to save them from the, the hardships and of all the consequences of sin. And you want to provide for them something that's just so much better than that. Would you draw them to yourself? And would you give us opportunities to share the great news of the gospel with them? Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your love. Lord, we respond to you now because you've been so good and gracious to us. We want to respond to you with worship and gratitude. And we do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.